0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Living Stones. I am your co-host Ken Hellenius. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers has been away on pilgrimage, and so in this month of August, I've been bringing you a reading of Pope Pius XII's Munificentissimus Deus, the most bountiful God, the apostolic letter which he wrote on the occasion of the definition of the Assumption of Our Lady on November 1st, 1950. Last week, we read the first half of the letter through paragraph 32, and now picking up In 33, we will finish the letter, so let's begin, shall we? In the 15th century, during a later period of scholastic theology, St. Bernardine of Siena collected and diligently evaluated all that the medieval theologians had said and taught on this question. He was not content with setting down the principal considerations, which these writers of an earlier day had already expressed, but he added others of his own. The likeness between God's mother and her divine Son, in the way of the nobility and dignity of body and of soul—a likeness that forbids us to think of the Heavenly Queen as being separated from the Heavenly King—makes it entirely imperative that Mary should only be where Christ is. Moreover, it is reasonable and fitting that not only the soul and body of a man, but also the soul and body of a woman should have obtained heavenly glory. Finally, since the Church has never looked for the bodily relics of the Blessed Virgin, nor proposed them for the veneration of the people, we have a proof on the order of a sensible experience. The above-mentioned teachings of the Holy Fathers and of the doctors have been in common use during more recent times. Gathering together the testimonies of the Christians of earlier days, St. Robert Bellarmine exclaimed, And who, I asked, could believe that the Ark of Holiness, the dwelling place of the Word of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, could be reduced to ruin. My soul is filled with horror at the thought that this virginal flesh which had begotten God, had brought Him into the world, had nourished and cared Him, could have been turned into ashes or given over to be food for worms." End quote. In like manner, St. Francis de Sales, after asserting that it is wrong to doubt that Jesus Christ has himself observed in the most perfect way the divine commandment by which children are ordered to honor their parents, asks this question, quote, What son would not bring his mother back to life, and would not bring her into paradise after her death if he could? End quote. And St. Alphonsus writes that Jesus did not wish to have the body of Mary corrupted after death, since it would have redounded to his own dishonor to have her virginal flesh, from which he himself had assumed flesh, reduced to dust. Once the mystery which is commemorated in this feast had been placed in its proper light, there were not lacking teachers who, instead of dealing with the theological reasonings that show why it is fitting and right to believe the bodily assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary into heaven, chose to focus their mind and attention on the faith of the Church itself, which is the mystical body of Christ without stain or wrinkle, and is called by the Apostle the pillar and ground of truth." Relying on this common faith, they considered the teaching opposed to the doctrine of Our Lady's Assumption as temerarious, if not heretical. Thus, like not a few others, St. Peter Canisius, after he had declared that the very word Assumption signifies the glorification not only of the soul but also of the body, and that the Church has venerated and has solemnly celebrated this mystery of Mary's Assumption for many centuries, adds these words of warning quote, This teaching has already been accepted for some centuries. It has been held as certain in the minds of the pious people, and it has been taught to the entire Church in such a way that those who deny that Mary's body has been assumed in heaven are not to be listened to patiently, but are everywhere to be denounced as over-contentious or rash men, and is imbued with a spirit that is heretical rather than Catholic, end quote. At the same time, the great Suarez was professing in the field of Mariology the norm that, quote, keeping in mind the standards of propriety, and when there is no contradiction or repugnance on the part of Scripture, the mysteries of grace which God has wrought in the Virgin must be measured not by the ordinary laws, but by the divine omnipotence, end quote. Supported by the common faith of the entire Church on the subject of the mystery of the Assumption, he could conclude that this mystery was to be believed with the same firmness of assent as that given to the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin. Thus, he already held that such truths could be defined. All these proofs and considerations of the Holy Fathers and the theologians are based upon the sacred writings as their ultimate foundation. These set the loving Mother of God, as it were, before our very eyes, as most intimately joined to Her Divine Son, and is always sharing His lot. Consequently, it seems impossible to think of Her, the One who conceived Christ, brought Him forth, nursed Him with her milk, held Him in her arms, and clasped Him to her breast, as being apart from Him in body, even though not in soul, after this earthly life. Since our Redeemer is the Son of Mary, He could not do otherwise, as the perfect observer of God's law, than to honor not only his eternal Father, but also his most beloved Mother. And, since it was within his power to grant her this great honor, to preserve her from the corruption of the tomb, we must believe that he really acted in this way. We must remember especially that, since the 2nd century, the Virgin Mary has been designated by the Holy Fathers as the New Eve— who, although subject to the new Adam, is most intimately associated with him in that struggle against the infernal foe, which, as foretold in the proto would finally result in the most complete victory over sin and death which are always mentioned together in the writings of the Apostle of the Gentiles. Consequently, just as the glorious resurrection of Christ was an essential part and the final sign of this victory, so that struggle which was common to the Blessed Virgin and her Divine Son should be brought to a close by the glorification of her virginal body. For the same Apostle says, When this mortal thing has put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Hence, the revered Mother of God, from all eternity joined in a hidden way with Jesus Christ in one and the same degree of predestination, immaculate in her conception, a most perfect virgin in her divine motherhood, the noble associate of the divine Redeemer who has won a complete triumph over sin and its consequences— finally obtained, as the supreme culmination of her privileges, that she should be preserved free from the corruption of the tomb, and that, like her own son, having overcome death, she might be taken up body and soul to the glory of heaven, where, as queen, she sits in splendor at the right hand of her son, the immortal king of the ages. Since the universal church, within which dwells the spirit of truth, who infallibly directs it toward an ever more perfect knowledge of the revealed truths has expressed its own belief many times over the course of the centuries, and since the bishops of the entire world are almost unanimously petitioning that the truth of the bodily assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary into heaven should be defined as a dogma of divine and Catholic faith, this truth, which is based on the sacred writings, which is thoroughly rooted in the minds of the faithful, which has been approved in ecclesiastical worship from the most remote times, which is completely in harmony with the other revealed truths, and which has been expounded and explained magnificently in the work, the science, and the wisdom of the theologians, we believe that the moment appointed in the plan of a divine providence for the solemn proclamation of this outstanding privilege of the Virgin Mary has already arrived. We, who have placed our pontificate under the special patronage of the Most Holy Virgin, To whom we have had recourse so often in times of grave trouble, we who have consecrated the entire human race to her Immaculate Heart in public ceremonies, and who have time and time again experienced her powerful protection, are confident that this solemn proclamation and definition of the Assumption will contribute in no small way to the advantage of human society, since it redounds to the glory of the Most Blessed Trinity, to which the Blessed Mother of God is bound by such singular bonds. It is to be hoped that all the faithful will be stirred up to a stronger piety toward their Heavenly Mother, and that the souls of all those who glory in the Christian name may be moved by the desire of sharing in the unity of Jesus Christ's mystical body, and of increasing their love for Her who shows Her motherly heart to all the members of this august body and so we may hope that those who meditate upon the glorious example Mary offers us may be more and more convinced of the value of a human life entirely devoted to carrying out the Heavenly Father's will and to bringing good to others. Thus, while the illusory teachings of materialism and the corruption of morals that follows from these teachings threaten to extinguish the light of virtue and to ruin the lives of men by exciting discord among them, in this magnificent way all may see clearly to what a lofty goal our bodies and souls are destined. Finally, it is our hope that belief in Mary's bodily assumption into heaven will make our belief in our own resurrection stronger and render it more effective. We rejoice greatly that this solemn event falls according to the design of God's providence during this holy year so that we are able, while the great jubilee is being observed, to adorn the brow of God's Virgin Mother with this brilliant gem, and to leave a monument more enduring than bronze of our own most fervent love for the Mother of God. For which reason, after we have poured forth prayers of supplication again and again to God, and have invoked the light of the Spirit of Truth, for the glory of Almighty God, who has lavished His special affection upon the Virgin Mary, for the honor of her Son, the immortal King of the ages, and the victor over sin and death, for the increase of the glory of that same august Mother, and for the joy and exaltation of the entire Church. By the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the blessed Apostles Peter and Paul, and by our own authority, we pronounce, declare, and define it to be a divinely revealed dogma that the Immaculate Mother of God, the ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. Hence, if anyone which, God forbid, should dare willfully to deny or to call into doubt that which we have defined, let him know that he has fallen away completely from the divine and Catholic faith. In order that this, our definition of the bodily assumption of the Virgin Mary into heaven, may be brought to the attention of the universal Church, we desire that this, our apostolic letter, should stand for perpetual remembrance, commanding that written copies of it, or even printed copies, signed by the hand of any public notary, and bearing the seal of a person constituted in ecclesiastical dignity, should be accorded by all men the same reception they would give to this present letter, were it tendered or shown and it is forbidden for any man to change this our declaration, pronouncement, and definition, or, by rash attempt, to oppose and counter it. If any man should presume to make such an attempt, let him know that he will incur the wrath of Almighty God and of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul. Given at Rome, at St. Peter's, in the year of the great Jubilee 1950, on the first day of the month of November, on the Feast of All Saints, in the twelfth year of our pontificate. Signed, Pius Twelfth. So that concludes our reading of this apostolic letter, uh, Munificentissimus Deus, by Pope Pius XII. Again, it uh, was written in 1950, in the midst of a holy year, and what we just finished listening to was an infallible teaching by the Church, infallibly defined by Pius XII as a divinely revealed dogma, that is, a matter of faith that has been divinely revealed by God and infallibly proposed by the magisterium of the Church, the formal teaching authority of the Church. This is a particularly interesting teaching because we don't read about the Assumption of Our Lady in the Scriptures, but rather this is one that comes to us as being handed down through the liturgical practice of the church, it is a feast that had been celebrated in East and West for centuries, since the earliest time of the church. Theologians had reflected upon it, and in their reflection consistently throughout history had realized that not only is does it not stand in opposition, there's nothing in scripture that says it couldn't have happened, but also it seems what, he, what we describe as fitting. It fits with The nature of Our Lady as being preserved from original sin, as being so intimately connected with the mission of her divine Son, Jesus Christ, and also as a foretaste of our very own resurrection. This really is a teaching of hope for Christians. The assumption of Our Lady is, for us, a sign of what we hope will happen to us. We, who are baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, Look to the fact that he raised his own mother, his first disciple, to heaven, bodily and soul, and that will happen to us at the end of our earthly lives, at our death. Now, you'll note in there that Pope Pius didn't actually define whether or not Mary died at the end of her life. And that's not part of the formal teaching. It just says that at the, having completed the course of her earthly life, she was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. We know that we will die. Jesus Christ himself died on the cross. Mary, at the end of her life, although it's not formally defined in this teaching, the consensus among theologians is that she also died, but that she did not experience the corruption of the tomb. We know that Jesus did not experience the corruption of the tomb either, and that is because, of course, both of them were, were sinless from the very first moments of their lives. They were preserved from the stain of original sin, and we who have experienced original sin and who are uh, still mired in it, we will experience the corruption of the tomb but we will be reunited with our glorified bodies in the resurrection because we who are baptized into Christ are baptized also into his resurrection. So again, this is a great feast of hope for us. The Eastern Rite Christians, members of the Eastern churches in communion with Rome and and our Orthodox brothers and sisters, also do celebrate a similar feast to uh, the Assumption. It's called the Dormition, or the Falling Asleep, and that corresponds with what we celebrate in the Latin Rite Church as the Assumption of Our Lady. There's a beautiful prayer that we pray at the, the opening prayer of the Mass for the Feast of the Assumption that, again, highlights this hopefulness and this connection of the Assumption of Our Lady to our own resurrection, and it goes like this. All-powerful and ever-living God, you raised the sinless Virgin Mary, Mother of your Son, body and soul to the glory of heaven. May we see heaven as our final goal and come to share her glory. So that prayer, again, focuses on Mary is in heaven, and we too will be there, and that's our final goal. We are pilgrims on this journey of the Christian life. And so that's kind of a beautiful reminder as we uh, celebrate throughout this entire month of August. Of course, on the 15th, we had the Feast of the Assumption. On the 22nd, we celebrated the Queenship of Our Lady. So this is her being crowned Queen of Heaven and Earth. And interestingly enough, one of the things that Pope Pius writes about in the the Apostolic Letter that we just read, he writes about how even in the Rosary, the faithful have been praying and recognizing the Assumption of Our Lady and her coronation, her crowning as Queen of Heaven and Earth in the Mysteries of the Rosary, in the Glorious Mysteries. Another interesting thing that is— uh, Explained in this letter that we just read together is that in defining the dogma of the assumption the Pope, Pius XII, actually consulted with the bishops of the world in order to get the sense of the faithful. Uh, so he mentions that in 1946, so four years before he uh, issued this formal definition, he wrote an encyclical to the bishops of the world inviting their input. And he mentions that of that, there was an overwhelming response, and the number was actually of the 1,181 formal answers that he received— only six showed any reservations about defining the assumption. Uh, And most of those were whether or not the timing was right. You know, we hear now that we're 70 years on 72 years on from the uh, formal definition of the uh, assumption, we've grown up with this. I, I remember growing up with a parish assumption parish. And I just, that's part of what we, we have always believed. And interestingly enough, At the time, though, this was just five, six years after the end of the Second World War. And so this is a world that had been greatly torn apart. And kind of if you think about it, hard to imagine that as a time of hope. And yet what does the Holy Father say at the end of this letter, but that he actually hopes that the definition of the assumption is going to be a great sign of hope for the faithful and that will actually increase. It says, as he said in paragraph 42, it is to be hoped that all the faithful will be stirred up to a stronger piety toward their heavenly mother. And so the, this idea that what he is doing uh, in defining this the assumption at this time is really hoping to bring hope and to be a church and a people of hope. And so it's really a wonderful reflection when we ourselves pray and reflect upon the assumption of Our Lady and her coronation. What we are doing is hopefully becoming people of great hope and letting that hope shine through us to our brothers and sisters around us who maybe aren't yet believers and who maybe don't understand why God's raising up of Our Lady something that should make me happy, something that should give me hope. When we reflect and pray and contemplate, especially as we pray the rosary and as we celebrate the liturgical feasts, we too need to let that hope Radiate from us because this really is a great gift of the church. Kind of continuing this idea of the church celebrating. This feast for centuries. While the specific date of Mary's Assumption is not certain, uh, belief in the Assumption at the end of her life uh, is found in apocryphal accounts dated to the second and third centuries. So, within the first hundred years after the foundation of the Church, after after the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles gathered with Mary on Pentecost, it's already being talked about. It has been celebrated since at least the 5th century in various local churches, especially those uh, in the eastern part of the church, and at the Council of Chalcedon in 451, when bishops from throughout the Mediterranean world gathered to discuss the personhood of Jesus Christ as both fully God and fully man, the emperor, Martian, asked the patriarch of Jerusalem to bring the relics of Jesus' mother Mary to Constantinople. To be enshrined there in the capital, and the patriarch had to delicately explain to the emperor that there were no relics of Mary in Jerusalem, that, quote, Mary had died in the presence of the apostles... And her tomb, when opened later, was found empty, and so the apostles concluded that the body was taken up into heaven. And so, even to this day, we don't speak about the relics of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And Pius Pope Pius even kind of mentioned that in his letter. We don't speak about relics of her body. We do talk about the holy protection of Mary, which is a part of this wonderful tradition in the East that uh, Saint Thomas, the apostle, was not present at the Assumption, uh, but that he did see her being raised to heaven. And and uh, that he actually received from her uh, her veil that uh, he, she um, kind of tossed down to him as she was being assumed. And so this is a wonderful iconographic tradition. The protection of Our Lady uh, is often her holding her veil uh, as she's being assumed into heaven. The bodily assumption of Mary is not explicitly recorded in Scripture. In our Catholic tradition, we have always identified her as the woman clothed with the sun, uh, who's described in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. And the passage there calls the woman's appearance, quote, a great sign which appeared in heaven, indicating to us that she was the mother of the Jewish Messiah. And she's depicted as having the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. So accordingly, in Catholic iconography, uh, we often depict her as having the moon under her feet and and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Even where I work at the University of Notre Dame, the great uh, Golden Dome has a statue of Our Lady on top, and there's actually a moon kind of popping up uh, at, at her feet because this is the image that we use for Our Lady. There's actually a crown that was designed to go on that. The crown is underneath in the main building. It's a beautiful image, though of Our Lady as being this woman from the book of Revelation whose appearance is a great sign and uh, who was raised to heaven. And so maybe it's best to conclude tonight uh, with a little bit of prayer together. So I think we're going to pray the decade of the rosary devoted to the Assumption of Our Lady. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The fourth glorious mystery, the Assumption of Our Lady. Our Father, who art in heaven, Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, Queen of the Most Holy Rosary, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Friends, it has been a joy to read with you the wonderful Bull of... Pope Pius XII, munificentissimus deus, solemnly defining the assumption of Our Lady, body and soul into heaven. We will be back on Living Stones with Deacon Harold next week, and we'll pick up our conversation on the Holy Spirit. But until we gather again next time, please download previous episodes of the show at materdayradio.com and connect with us on Facebook at Living Stones Media. Until we see you next week, may the Blessed Virgin Mary protect you and your family, now and forever. Amen. See you next week. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's m-a-t-e-r-d-e-i radio.com.